Hello and welcome everyone to the Medical Affairs Professional Society podcast. And today uh, we are on the focus area group of gene therapy and rare disease. And this is part of a two-part podcast series. My name is Fatima Ahmad, and I am the Vice President of Global Medical Affairs at Hansa Biopharma, and I'll be the moderator for this podcast. Um, currently, I am the co-lead of the Gene Therapy Rare Disease Focus Area Working Group, um, and I'm very pleased to bring this content to you. But before we start, just uh, uh, a disclaimer, the views expressed in this recording are those of the individuals and do not necessarily reflect on the opinions of MAPS or the companies with which they are affiliated. This presentation is for informational uses only and is not intended as legal or regulatory advice. And it's my pleasure to introduce my distinguished guest today, Dr. Bartholomew Tartella. Uh, Bartholomew has been my boss and my mentor um, and uh, in a previous uh, professional life, and I'm so happy to have him join us today. Uh, Bartholomew, welcome. Thank you very much, Dr. Ahmad and uh, MAPS members. Uh, it's my pleasure to be here today to talk a little bit about medical affairs and rare disease and gene therapy. I was in the pharmaceutical industry about 23 years and started in medical affairs, spent a little time in clinical development, but then returned to my home, which I really felt was medical affairs and took on positions of increasing responsibility. And as Dr. Ahmad said, uh, she and I were together as the medical affairs team at uh, Spark Therapeutics, where we were very engaged with both rare disease and gene therapy. It's my pleasure now to uh, turn it back to her and uh, look forward to our discussion. Yeah, fantastic. And uh, so the topic today um, that we're talking about is the role of medical affairs in rare disease and gene therapy. Uh, and why does it necessitate a slightly different approach from other therapeutic areas. So we'll dive into that a little bit and explore um, how we think about it differently or how do we think about it, period. So as, as starting out this discussion, Bartholomew, how do you see the role of medical affairs evolving in the era of advanced therapeutics like gene therapy which often is investigated for rare disorders. Yeah, medical affairs for rare disease and specifically gene therapy is a whole different animal than the classic medical affairs that we associate in the past. And th there's several reasons for that, simply because rare disease is a highly technical area, involves very complex diseases, and then piled on top of that is the complexity of gene therapy, a technology which is rapidly developing and important to understand not only from our side in medical affairs, but also the practicing medical community. Uh, I, I tend to think of the role of medical affairs as a three-legged stool when it comes to rare disease and gene therapy. Uh, first of all, Unlike many other areas of medical affairs, we are scientific educators actually for the practicing medical community. And I say that because many of the things in gene therapy, the clinicians did not learn about in, in their graduate training, 
in their residency, their fellowship, and they never had a patient. So that the medical affairs professionals are often experts in their particular area of gene therapy. And as they go to the individual practicing medical community, they need to be very well versed. The basic science, the immunology, the very specific nuances of the clinical trials and how those clinical trials hopefully will result in a, an approved product. This is much more complicated than it would be if you were talking about small molecules or other well-known therapies. And the clinicians expect the medical affairs professionals to have a very high level of scientific expertise. Second of all, medical affairs is well known for insight gathering. And it's no different here, but the insight gathering is a lot more nuanced in that you won't necessarily get questions about the gene therapy. You'll get questions about the gene therapy and the rare disease interaction. You'll get questions about the immunology, the control of the immunology, the different approaches to the clinical trials. And all those questions turn into valuable insights that you bring back, not only to your medical affairs colleagues, quite frankly, but also to your clinical development co colleagues, and then to your research colleagues, especially the immunology ones, uh, in addition to our marketing colleagues who were always interested in the pulse of the medical community. But it's those scientific insights which span the research area, the clinical development area, and the medical affairs area, which is really quite unique to medical affairs and rare disease. And then finally, we really are our pharmaceutical biotech companies' doctors. And they look at us for consultations. This may be joined by a question or a perspective or us giving spontaneously some advice on how to pursue not only a marketing approach, but very much more commonly a clinical affairs approach or a scientific approach. And we need to be thinking on many levels, the basic science level, the clinical development level, the medical affairs level, and that unique piece of the equation that is unique to medical affairs, what would the practicing medical community say? How would they react to this particular research effort or this particular portion of a clinical trial? So for those reasons, being specific scientific educators, sophisticated insight gatherers, and in-house medical professional consultants uh, you can see that rare disease gene therapy medical affairs takes medical affairs to the highest level. Well, that's, that's a fantastic construct, uh, Bartholomew. So a three-legged stool, scientific educators, gathering insights, and in-house medical professionals. And, you know, one of the things that you and I discovered when we were working together is you know, clinical experts uh, in the particular disease area, they're experts there, but they're not gene therapy doctors. And so part of the medical affairs remit was um, 
to actually give them that expertise and give them that familiarity and ease with the topic at hand so that they are then equipped in having those conversations in turn with the patient. I mean, they can talk to the patient about uh, the, the, the specialty at length for sure, but um, when talking to them about trials, clinical trials in gene therapy, that was where the real gap was uh, and where medical affairs could step in and help educate and make them comfortable in having those, those dialogues. Do you, yeah, you're do you exactly recall right, that? Fatima. You're exactly right, yeah. Fatima. And, and that also made us invaluable partners to the clinical development group because we would often bring back insights to them, which would allow them to craft their protocols in a more expeditious fashion. It would allow us to open doors to them. You know, we didn't want to do their work, their clinical trial, it's, we're not. Mm -hmm. But just exactly mm -hmm. as you said, that familiarity with the practicing medical community really allowed our clinical development colleagues to go further, faster, mm -hmm because of the support that we could offer. Yes, yes, exactly. Um, so in summary, you know, the specialized skill sets medical affairs professionals need teaching skills, listening skills, and as you and I just talked about, being seeped in clinical medicine, but also in um, gene therapy as a field, the technology, um, as one very esteemed colleague, um, Dr. Kathy High once said, that, you know, in concept, gene therapy is very simple, but in practice, it is not the case. And so as the science evolves, and as we learn more, and our understanding develops, um, that is goes went hand in hand in bringing that information over to the KOLs and the HCPs um, that we were helping to educate. Uh, very good. So maybe switching gears a little bit um, as gene therapy and rare disease particularly go hand in hand, just coming to rare disease now for a bit. It, from your perspective, are there you know, any major differences in approach to medical affairs planning in rare disease, whether or not there is a gene therapy or a novel therapeutic involved? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think rare disease really calls for your highest level of performance as medical affairs professionals. And the reason I say that is the number of practitioners involved in any rare disease is very small. And so mm -hmm. you must be laser focused on them, going to them with the highest level of expertise and preparedness. And they really expect that. They don't want somebody just in the first few years of medical affairs to go to them unaccompanied. Now, obviously, you can go with a colleague as, you, as they learn the craft of medical affairs, and they expect you to have read all the latest information on your area of rare disease, all the, the traditional treatments, all the upcoming treatments, and be very well aware of the mechanisms of action of all of those things, not on a theoretical, but really on a molecular level. Because mm. so much of what happens in rare disease happens at a molecular level and the treatments being investigated in the current wave of rare disease and gene therapy are all at 
the molecular level. So I think the first thing I would say is it's a very high level of scientific expertise that transcends the normal approach that medical affairs colleagues can take. Uh, the second thing is uh, it's not just giving the same approach to everybody. And as you pointed out just recently in what you said, you are going to be interacting with rare disease colleagues who are experts in that rare disease, but mm -hmm. you're also going to be interacting with individuals who treat that rare disease, but not in the same intensity and focus. So I'll give you an example. Uh, we both work in hemophilia. Uh, there are mm -hmm. a number of patients with hemophilia who receive their treatment at internationally known hemophilia treatment centers. So obviously the approach and discussion when you're talking with the faculty of an international hemophilia treatment center has a mm -hmm. particular style and approach. But many patients also were treated for their hemophilia by hematologists at hospitals, which are not international centers, but they have mm -hmm. a clear need for knowledge, understanding, insight, and they have a whole different series of questions than those individuals at the international centers. So the medical affairs practitioner must be ready to talk to an international expert on one day and the next day to walk into a, a, a situation where you have an individual who knows well that rare disease, but is not at the same position in their knowledge or their practice as an individual who does the hemophilia as their life's work. And it's that ability to flex and take a bespoke approach, which is really very, very important to effective and important communication in medical affairs, rare disease. Yeah, those are great points. Um, I think one other area that I'm thinking of as you were speaking, Bartholomew, was that patient organizations in rare disease um, are very active. And typically the rare disease patient, depending on the disease, tends to be um, informed, very well informed about uh, treatment options that are in research or under investigation. And so as the medical affairs professional, and as we're writing out our medical plans, that's another area that we have to keep in mind, integrating the patient voice, um, looking at our tactics and strategy, um, and liaising with patient advocacy groups within our, uh, within our area, as well as with uh, patient advocacy colleagues within our organization to bring that view into the medical affairs plan. You know, Fatima, you hit it right on the head. Uh, all of us in medical affairs at one point or another treated patients. And somehow when you went into biofarm or farm, you found yourself distanced from the patients. But that is the real treat, the real part that enlivens and energizes everybody in medical affairs, rare diseases, the interaction mm -hmm. with the patient societies and indeed with the patients themselves. They often have patient society meetings where medical affairs attends and discusses. And so you are back in your element. You're back in that area that gives you energy when you find yourself interacting with patients, either on a leadership basis because of their patient advocacy group or actual individual patients 
who also want a little bit of information about the science and the uh, rare disease aspects of their condition. And I found professionally, that was one of the aspects of medical affairs, rare disease, that was most energizing and most satisfying for me because I got back to the patient, which of course is our North Star in whatever we do in medical affairs. Yes, absolutely. It, it really was um, just very, very rewarding um, understanding and, and, and you know, just being closer to the patient in, in this area than in some other areas um, and actually being able to visualize how this therapy could, could help uh, a patient population that really has no other treatment options. Um, okay, well, this is such such a great conversation, and I'm really enjoying uh, exploring these topics with you. So, as you know, one of the one of the goals of our conversation here is to help our medical affairs colleagues um, figure out if this is an area they would like to work in, uh, both rare disease and gene therapy, novel therapeutics like gene therapy, which are very exciting in concept. Um, but as we touched upon earlier, in reality, may differ. Um, so in your experience and your perspective, what are some of the challenges that our medical affairs colleagues uh, may want to think about as they consider working in this area? I think the first thing is to realize the amount of time, education, and focus that it takes to really gain command of the basic science and the clinical science of the rare disease, first of all, uh, and of your particular modality. That would be, for example, gene therapy. And to not start with a cursory example, but really dig into all the basic parts of the vector, all the basic parts of the molecular biology of the disease itself, and then put in the time necessary to really have a commanding knowledge of those. But don't stop there. It's a lifelong learning situation. And so medical affairs individuals are always the ones going to clinical development saying, what is new in the clinical trials? They're going to the basic science group and saying, what new things are you doing or new approaches are you taking so that they can maintain their level of knowledge, not just on what's been published in the literature, although that is important, but also the cutting edge that is being put forward by their company itself. And, that, and that's a never ending opportunity to stay current on all those things. Um, mm. And also, as things change in their rare disease or their uh, gene therapy, to be aware of that. And that's why I say that you have to read literature. I myself read seven to 10 journals a month. Uh, mm. Not every journal cover to cover, but tables of contents so that I would be able to know what's happening in that area of the rare disease and in that area of gene therapy. So get steeped in that art of clinical medicine, rare disease, molecular biology, what's going on state of the art in gene therapy, and 
break it all down to a molecular level. Now, that's the easy part, if you will, because all of us are good learners. We, we, we study hard. We've done well, et cetera. Now comes the hard part. You have to be able to break down that knowledge you've obtained into easily and quickly understandable units. Because no one's going to sit down and talk three hours with you. Busy, busy clinicians, busy researchers, uh, practitioners of any stripe don't simply have that much time. The hard thing is to take your extensive knowledge base and put that into understandable discussions, time limit, 10 or 15 minutes, if you will. And that's a, a tremendous task because you have to know what to leave in, what to leave out, how to answer questions, and then have a particular sense of whether you're talking to that international expert and how you're going to explain things to them or that person who is a specialist in their area, but not necessarily an international expert. And that's where I see a lot of people fall down. They know the knowledge, they control the area, but when you talk to them, it's like they're talking to uh, 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 or reciting some of the material they've read. And what I've always said is, tell me the story of what you're trying to communicate. Break it down. Use examples, keep the language straightforward. And that, I think, is one of the things that separates the beginning medical affairs expert who is very erudite and book read from the superior, uh, well seasoned medical affairs practitioner who can take that knowledge and somehow explain it effortlessly in a way that can be understood by the audience to whom they're speaking. You know, as you speak, um, I'm reminded of one of the unique challenges um, that I encountered while working in this space. And so um, as we looked at how to develop the HCP landscape in advance of a gene therapy, I realized that there were three distinct groups of KOLs. So you have your clinical experts who are experts in the disease area, and then you have your scientific experts who are actually very well versed in gene therapy, have written extensively um, around it, around the technology, the vector, for example. And then there is a very small group of individuals who know both. And that's typically a handful of people for a given disease area. So as a medical affairs person, as you think about developing um, education or thinking, think about maybe developing educational reviews, uh, you have to bring these three groups together because peer-to-peer -peer education, as we know, is, is highly effective. But what peers are you talking about? So the clinician peers, you know, the disease area peers are going to be looking for peers in their group. Um, the scientists are going to be looking for peers in their group, uh, but then to make have a paper be truly considered um, effective or widely read or recognized as, as, a, as a clinical expert point of view, you, you need both groups, all three groups, in fact. And how do you identify and bring them together 
uh, as a cohesive author group. That's also one of the unique challenges that I encountered <laughs> working in this space. Oh yes, very much so. And then I, I have to resist the temptation to dumb things down. You never right. want to dumb, dumb things down. So one of the things, I went to business school, and one of the things they taught us in business school is exactly what you have articulated. See the picture in your audience's head. Take a sense of the audience, and those three archetypes that you articulated will stand every medical affairs practitioner in rare disease and gene therapy in very good stead. As they walk into it, and prepare mentally for a discussion, ask themselves, what is the picture in this individual's head? How do I best connect? How do I best interact? And how can I best help that person in their educational pursuit? You're spot on. Yeah, it really is building a community of experts, isn't it? Um, well, great. So I think as we are wrapping up this first podcast on the topic, um, my last question to you, Bartholomew, is looking at how fast the field is developing and evolving. Do you think that there might be specialized roles within medical affairs that may be coming up that are different from current roles, either in the rare disease or gene therapy or a combined space? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think it's already here. I think those medical affairs individuals who are in rare disease and in gene therapy or one of the other novel therapeutic regimens uh, represent the elite of medical affairs. And that, that puts on them a particular responsibility in that they have to teach and mentor other members of the medical affairs community on what that area of expertise looks like. So it's not your regular medical affairs. It's a very specialized and we have a responsibility to teach and mentor medical affairs professionals as they get there. Uh, the second thing I also believe is it's not just sufficient to go and see your clinical professionals or work in your own region. It's very important to get involved in leadership of professional societies. And MAPS is the perfect example, to give you an example. Uh, when you get started in medical affairs, you're looking around, you're trying to learn the craft, you're looking at those people more uh, expert. And as I said, many of them are already in the rare disease gene therapy. But the one thing that marks the rare disease gene therapy group is they're also leaders in their profession. So if you were to take a look at MAPS, I would recommend, first of all, become a member. I mean, that's, there's no question about that. Second of all, just don't stop there. Go to the meetings, even whether there's local meetings or regional or national. And then second, raise your hand. Yeah, I'll be on that committee. Or I'll organize that meeting. And that's the way you take your practicing of medical affairs to that next level because it gives you the opportunity to see people from other areas of the country, other disciplines, and to sharpen your leadership skills, which are extremely important when it comes to medical affairs, gene therapy, rare disease, because that's the leader, leading edge of medical affairs right now in, in, in my judgment. 
So be aware that you are at the elite level if you're in rare disease gene therapy. Be aware that that comes with responsibilities of teaching and mentoring. And be aware that you need now to get involved in those professional societies like MAPS, not only just as a member, but also an active member who works in committees, conferences, meetings to really help all those individuals in medical affairs bring the needed information to the practicing medical community and the patient care groups. Yeah, very, very well said. And, you know, I would, I would just add that as, as professionals, we tend to get obviously very, very busy in our day to day, um, our day jobs. And sometimes it seems, okay, how am I going to find the time to engage in these types of endeavors? But honestly, what I've learned in my time working at MAPS, it's actually a sanity check. It actually has helped me feel um, less isolated when I talk within a group of you know, like-minded uh, medical affairs professional colleagues. You know, they may be working in, in big pharma, medium-sized, small biotech. And you come to realize that we, you know, we face very similar situations. And so that is actually uh, a, a great break for your mind that is tired from the day-to-day -day work uh, to come together in this peer-to-peer -peer type of conversation um, and, and simply learn and relax because you're not really fulfilling any you know, specific objective at the time. It's, it's really holistic learning. Um, so, so that's great, great advice. One of the other things I'd, I'd, I'd like to say, because you said, where am I going to find time for this? And I'd like to yeah. pick that up and amplify it. Yeah. It is your supervisor's responsibility to make time for you to do this. I was blessed throughout all of my time in pharma with bosses who always told me, what are you doing to develop your career? And what can I do to help you? And I was given performance ratings based in part on how members of our team developed their careers, went on to get promoted, went on to take local, regional, national, and international positions of responsibility. So please don't feel that you have to do it alone. And I know you and I know this very well because we've had many conversations, but mm -hmm. bring your boss, your manager, supervisor, whatever you call them into this equation because it is part of their job as, their, as a leader in the organization, wherever they are, to take specific efforts to develop the career and capabilities of uh, colleagues within their organization. So please bring them in because you don't have to do it alone. And I, I, I find one of the most fulfilling parts of my career has been those individuals who've gone on, like yourself, to take uh, uh, executive leadership positions in, in many areas of biopharm and medical affairs. Fantastic reminder and, and very well said, uh, Bartholomew. And I truly appreciate um, the support that I received uh, from you and, and likewise encourage listeners 
um, to explore these opportunities um, within your organizations as well. Um, so sadly, our time together has come to an end. This has been a very enjoyable conversation and I hope our listeners um, find it useful as well. Um, as we wrap up, uh, I would just like to reiterate that you know, we encourage you to engage in conversations about gene therapy and rare disease with other MAPS members via the MAPS LinkedIn page. Um, and please do visit medicalaffairs.org slash events to participate in our upcoming webinars and in-person conferences. Um, and as I said in the beginning of the podcast, this is a multi-series um, conversation. So we will be back with more uh, exploring uh, this topic. So Bartholomew, thank you very much for your time. You're welcome. Thank you, Fatima. Thank you. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye now.